This is WCNY's The Capitol Press Room, and we're checking in on the state's process of creating a cap-and-invest program, which will put a gradually shrinking cap on emissions from large polluters, charging them for the right to pollute, and investing those funds into green initiatives, including rebates for New Yorkers and small businesses. To discuss all these moving parts, we're joined by the Siegfried and Roy of Climate Policy in New York, and they are Doreen Harris, President and CEO of the New York State Energy and Research Development Authority. Welcome back to the show, Doreen. Good morning. Great to be here. It's our pleasure. And we also have with us Basil Sagos, Commissioner of the State Department of Environmental Conservation. Morning, David. Am I my Siegfried or Roy? I'm just curious. I will let you two figure that out between yourselves in a, during the course of the interview. Got it. Well, uh, Basil, when we talked in January about this issue, you said the governor was planning on working with the legislature to create some kind of rebate for New Yorkers, which would help cover any costs that might get passed down the line from polluters. What sort of rebate program or other details on the invest side of the cap and invest program took shape in the final budget? Well, listen, I, th- I think that ultimately the budget was a success, a real success for the cap and invest program. And the governor talked about in January in the state of the state, the need to move, move forward with a robust program that generated you know two thirds of the revenue into the mitigation side. In other words, into the the fund ultimately that will help to drive down emissions, and then ultimately the one-third that would go into what came to be called the Consumer Climate Action Account. This is one-third of those proceeds going into affordability. So where we ended at the budget, at the end of the budget, was very close to where the governor started back in January, and we're thrilled now to have that clarity out there and the legislative buy-in to this approach moving forward. Well, I hope you'll forgive me for not reading the actual text itself and relying solely on the press releases that came out about this. And it talks about putting aside money, this is the Assembly's press release, for consumer and small business rebates. So does the actual text set into stone who are consumers for the purpose of this program? What are small businesses for the purposes of this program? Well, I think it, it gives us enough clarity as we march into the regulatory process, which, which is where we are right now, obviously creating these regulations that will go in front of the public for public comment that helps us to further refine exactly who will be covered when you're talking about a consumer or a small business who would be eligible for those, for those, uh, those rebates. Uh, when it comes to the larger program, of course, the mitigation side that I, that I mentioned, and the funds that would be generated from that, how you know who is covered effectively, who who is responsible for for paying into the system, that will all be determined, of course, throughout the budget, uh, the the post budget process, this regulatory process that we're in right now. So, uh, we know that we have we have the clarity from uh, both the governor and the legislature to move forward with the program and and ultimately present it to the public this year. So at least at this point, then it's not clear if public radio hosts based out of the capital will be covered by uh, the consumer rebates. Well, the intention of the governor and definitely reflected in in the budget item is that it's going to end up in the pockets of New Yorkers. So I'm feeling pretty good, Dave, that that you'd be on the list. That's really the goal and, and really what we'll be solving for. And in terms of ensuring these funds, when they're raised, end up where they're intended to, is this envisioned as a lockbox? Does the language in the budget uh, give wiggle room to potentially use this money in the future, say, for general fund purposes? How should we think about this? Yeah, on the invest side of it, the equation, 
we really will be working through what will probably be the coming number of years as we advance the cap side of this really most notably in the coming regulatory process. NYSERDA will be conducting auctions and really working on the design of those auctions as to how, again, how the mechanisms of the auction work. But as to the use of proceeds, it's very, I'd say, central that they would support programs on the mitigation side, notably clean energy programs, other measures which would result in emission reductions across the state. Um, but it is, it, it'll be subject to further refinement. And, and ultimately, it lays out a process whereby it would really be an appropriation process um, to determine periodically how those funds would be utilized. But that's, that's the framework we're starting with. I think also, and notably um, in this year's budget, it defined the fact that we would really have very strong labor provisions in the utilization of these funds. You know, it's a trend that we're seeing really across all of our clean energy investments in which those projects will be advanced with prevailing wage requirements, project labor agreements, by American considerations and the like. So I'd say the other framework is really that it'll have strong labor pr- provisions throughout. Well, you bring up that element of things. And one of the recurring issues that we've heard with the efforts to develop renewable energy projects uh, heretofore has been the rising costs associated with these projects. So are you concerned at all that by attaching uh, prevailing wage and labor peace agreements or ensuring that there are by American requirements, we're essentially uh, ensuring that the costs of these programs will be more than they otherwise might be? Well, it certainly has been an evolution um, of of these standards, really starting with our largest projects, the the big offshore wind projects where we're really where we started. And and over time, it has um, moved into the smaller scale renewable projects. And now with Cap and Invest um, more expansively throughout the the types of investments that we'll be making. And I I think about it in two ways. Yes, um, cost is a central issue, and and I'm sure we'll be talking about that more um, as as this year goes on and and as we advance specific programs. But it's also about feasibility. And really, when we think about the types of um, workers we need across the state and fundamentally the scale of that workforce, we're talking adding hundreds of thousands of people to this clean energy economy, you know, doing so with the support and the backbone of organized labor is central. Well, for listeners just joining us, you're listening to the Capitol Press Room, and we're talking about the development of a cap and invest program in New York. And our guests are Doreen Harris, president and CEO of NYSERDA. We're also speaking with Basil Sagos, commissioner for the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation. So, Basil, when we were taking this show uh, last time in January, you said the next five to six months would be spent engaging with stakeholders to determine what types of activities and by who uh, would now come with a price tag under the cap and invest program. We're now about five months into that time frame, and the Hochul administration has just kicked off a, a listening tour for the program. So is it safe to assume we're behind the schedule that we talked about in January? Not really. I mean, really, when we talked in January, we had already started our outreach We began with a series of conversations, really dozens of them, with environmental justice communities, with labor, with other states, with potentially covered businesses and trade associations. So we started that outreach right off the bat. Now we're, as you note, launching this series of, of webinars around the state seven of them, the first one yesterday, June 1st, to talk about the, just a basic overview of Capitan Fest with the program. So listen, the, the, the legislature, when, when uh, they, they passed the law back in 2019, gave us a deadline of the end of this calendar year 
to advance these regulations. And I've been saying since the outset that that was an extraordinarily tight time frame. If you know DEC, we try to work quickly on all regulations, but even a hunting and fishing regulation can take more than 12 months. So are we behind? I don't believe we're behind. You know, we still see the targets of the CLCPA as ambitious, but achievable. And we're going to design a program ultimately that gets us to those emissions reductions on time. And the important thing is launching a cap and invest program, not to necessarily adhere to the end of this calendar year as a, as a deadline, but something that can successfully get off the ground and, and work for all New Yorkers and ultimately drive those emissions down. So that's where we are. We've been working extraordinarily hard on this. We got a bump in staffing through the budget. The governor gave us additional staff to be able to undertake this cap and invest program. Uh, we are, you know, as you know, as you noted, uh, in the middle of this of this rollout uh, with the public at uh, writ large on it, um, and we're gonna we're gonna make sure that this program uh, works for New York. Well, you mentioned that you guys have been engaging people uh, prior to these listening tours. So, what have you learned about what makes a successful cap and invest program uh, since we talked in January? We've heard great feedback. And lots of support for the for the concept of an economy-wide program, obviously, in the law. Right, but what, what have you learned about the details, though? What have you learned about what makes sense? You know, you, Well, there are some great... states, we aren't the first state to do this, right? California, Western states have, have started cap-and-invest programs. So we heard lots of feedback about the pros and cons of those programs. What are other states doing well? What are other states doing poorly? Well, I think there's a recognition that um, we can do better in New York to protect consumers. We can do better in New York to ultimately keep the program affordable. And that's what drove some of our thinking uh, throughout the course of the budget process that we need to make this program affordable and that there are certain other uh, programs around the country and around the world where affordability wasn't necessarily the center point of it. Ultimately, where we landed with the governor's uh, rebate in the context of the budget was informed by some of those conversations we were having over the last few months. Can something be both affordable and meaningful when it comes to combating climate change? Because it seems like those two things are really at odds with each other. It's a fair question because we are talking about an unprecedented level of investment in our economy. And and ultimately, we need to design programs that uh, do so in as cost-effective way as, as possible. And, and the, there is tension between the two. Um, ultimately, we need a program that is consistent with the climate law. So that's sort of on the cap side. Um, and depending on how big that program is, fundamentally will we'll dictate the level of investments that will ensue. The reality is what we're talking about is a transition to this economy through this program. And so those investments are needed to realize the change and to realize the massive benefits that we've talked about before. Um, the fundamental point of the Climate Action Council's work was to assess really did the benefits exceed the costs. We know they do. Now we need to invest in order to achieve those benefits. So I'd personally put the benefits equation in there as well, um, knowing that we have this tension between caps, investments, and benefits. And that's really where we are this year is really analyzing and looking at the balance of all of those. This spring, uh, the two of you visited 
the LCA's press room at the Capitol to let reporters know that the governor was at least temporarily giving up her push in the context of the budget uh, to reform how methane emissions are considered for the purposes uh, of achieving our green future. But you indicated that uh, the administration was not necessarily giving up on this issue, something environmentalists claim would neuter uh, some of the effects of the 2019 Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act. So is the governor still interested in changing the timeline for gauging methane emissions? She's been clear to us from the outset that we have to explore all ways to keep the program affordable. I mean, we've just talked about that. And that's what triggered a very robust discussion about the 20-year versus 100-year global warming potential. I would say that we're going to be looking at that question very sincerely this year. With the legislature, we have agreed to launch this climate affordability study, which I think will will help inform the tools that we have at our disposal over the next 12 to 15, 28 months uh, as we approach the, the launch of the program. The important thing is not to take any of the tools off the table, but ultimately daylight all of it, daylight the numbers, You know, make sure that we're being transparent with what this, this program ultimately means for New Yorkers in terms of costs, and then make decisions in a transparent way that, that ultimately allows the program to launch in a successful way, drives down emissions, and at the same time protects consumers. So that's that's really where we are. And Dave, when we were with you in the LCA, I think we haven't changed our position from that point. Wouldn't it be easier to combat climate change if you just obfuscated all the potential costs and kept it from us until the last moment? And you were like, surprise, we did it. It was for your own good, people. That never goes over well, Dave. Yeah. It doesn't. Policymakers generally don't have a lot of success with that attempt, but but this year is going throughout the three-year process of the Climate Action Council. We looked at this on a societal basis. You know, we looked at cost that that question that I just laid out in the context of costs and benefits, and we always said we're going to have additional analysis that will be coming out every time we advance programs toward its achievement. And so I think when when we go toward the coming number of months and, and years, that's really where we will be is we're going to be digging into the trade-offs um, and ultimately the ways in which we can get from here to there in an affordable manner. Well, finally, DEC and NYSERDA are not the only players involved in achieving our state's green energy goals, our environmental goals. Uh, state regulators with the Public Service Commission recently began a process of trying to determine what zero emissions actually means for our 2040 goal of realizing zero emission electricity generation in just 17 years from now. So how, if at all, does this process impact your cap and invest work? Or is it siloed and separate and not something you need to take into consideration? Well, the electricity sector is integral to the achievement of our goals, um, although not the largest source of emissions uh, in the state. It is true that not only represented on the council, but now advancing throughout many, many state agencies are initiatives that are consistent with the climate law and integral to its achievement. I, for one, am, am happy that the commission has kicked off this process. NYSERDA will be involved not only analytically, but also in hosting some technical conferences around this topic because it does need to integrate. Um, there's a lot of considerations that come into play when we think about this zero emission grid of 2040 that we haven't grappled with yet, not only definitionally, to your point, um, how zero emission integrates with, with the DEC sort of cap and regulatory process associated with it, but also um, what resources will be brought to bear to reach that grid of the future perhaps more renewables, but then it'll allow us to, to think about other resources that could be 
contributing as well. So yeah, 17 years seems like a long way away, but it's really not um, when we think about the expansion of the grid and, and really this 20 to 2030 to 2040 timeframe. So I expect it'll play out um, over a number of, of, of milestones at the commission, but it, it necessarily does need to integrate given the inter- intersections between the electricity sector and cap and invest. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. We've been speaking with Doreen Harris. She's the president and CEO of NYSERDA. Thank you, Doreen. Thank you for having us. We've also been talking with Basil Sagos. He's the commissioner for the New York State DEC. Thank you, Basil. Thank you, David. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information.